0: Up late writing another of your detective stories, Alfred?
1: A flight of fancy, sir.
0: I mean to rid Gotham of the Ripper.
2: We're looking at another dimension.
1: There are alternate versions of me that you would find quite charming.
3: Welcome to Flights of Fancy, a Batman Elseworlds podcast. My name is James Hickson.
2: And I'm Trey Lawson.
3: And if you're wondering what happened to the Tomb of Ideas, well... We escaped! Yay! Yeah, you know, it's just like, I guess like a door was left unlocked or something, and we just, you know,
2: noped right out of there. Yeah, no, suddenly, one day, we we're about to do our usual horror comics thing, and suddenly there was an exit. Right. But of course, you know, once you get that podcast itch, it's
3: hard to get shake, so we decided we are gonna do another show, which is why we are now doing Flights of Fancy, a Batman L Scroll's podcast. Right. And to help us introduce our first episode, it's the big papa daddy of Cinepunks himself. Uh, Liam O'Donnell. Oh.
0: Oh, hello. So welcome welcome on the show, Liam. Oh, hi. Hey, guys. What's... Wow. I, I, I don't know. I wasn't aware what you guys looked like. I just knew your voices emanated from some... Is it a tomb? Are we talking... It's a tomb that you were in? I, I knew it was something musty and dusty and gross.
3: Yeah. D- do you want me to put the bag back on, or are we good?
0: No, <laughs> you guys are fine. I'm just saying... You know, you'd send me all your promotional materials, and they'd be covered in various corpse grime and body goo. And it, it was always a little awful.
3: Yeah, I, I always thought this was a bonus, but okay. Well, Liam, we'd like to thank you so much for joining us for the first episode of our new podcast. Um, we, you know, I think part of the reason we decided to do this podcast is... I mean, Trey, I think i speak for both both of us when i say we both like batman
2: we yeah we're we're, we're batman fans
3: yeah but i think there are a lot of batman podcasts out there already yes this is true so we kind of had to do something different and nothing says different like elseworlds in my opinion
2: yeah, I mean, one of the beauties of DC Comics is they have this huge multiverse of alternate realities and, and new possibilities that their, their characters can explore. And frankly, I mean, really, when I was a kid, I always looked forward to the Elseworlds books because they were usually one-shots, you know? Like, it'd be a story that would be done in one issue, which meant that even if I went months without seeing a comic book shop, I could get a whole story.
3: Right. Now, Elseworlds is kind of in a tradition in DC Comics before they were ever called Elseworlds. Uh, They didn't really get that name until, like, 1989 with the publication of Gotham by Gaslight. Right. Which, of course, is a Batman Elseworlds.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, Batman sort of launched the, the Elseworlds as an official imprint.
3: Right. And, of course, there were lots of imaginary stories out there. You know, ones where um, Superman, Superman would get up to
2: all kinds of shenanigans.
3: Yeah, usually marrying Lois Lane in some form, way or fashion. Right. And, of course, in the end, he realized, it's all a dream. <laughs> right. Some, You know, some trite bullshit like that. And, of course, we uh, Batman had his fair share of them as well, as we'll talk about later in the show. But it wasn't until 1989, like we said, with Gotham by Gaslight, that was kind of formalized into its own imprints as, hey, we're not going to do so many, so many of the, hey, it was all a dream stories in the main title anymore, but we are going to get fanciful with these prestige format imprints.
2: Right. And, and sometimes, there were several times when there were uh, whole sets of annuals that would be put out that were Elseworlds.
3: Now, Liam, what's your history with Batman?
2: Oh man, I it's so funny
0: that uh, you guys asked me to be on this particular episode where we're covering Batman because I am known for having sort of an animosity towards uh, the Cape Crusader, despite uh, kind of enjoying him as a as a kid. Um, in my in my later years, I, I've I've come to not really like him very much.
3: Oh, oh my!
0: I mean, look. Oh. I I have this okay. I have this thing with Batman. My thing with Batman is that he spends a lot of money being Batman. Can we agree that being Batman must be a huge expense? Is that a thing? Is that fair? Is that a fair assumption? Oh, most
2: definitely. I'd say so. That's very fair.
0: Doesn't it seem like he could spend that money in other ways?
3: What, you mean like strippers and cocaine?
0: (laughs) Yeah, or, uh, you know... I, I, the, the idea that the best use for his, his mass fortune is uh, beating up poor people or crazy people that are mostly crazy because of him, uh, it just seems like not my, I'm not the most invested in that, even if there's aspects of the character I really like. I really love the imagery. I like the idea of him being primarily a detective and a, and, a, and a caped adventurer secondarily, although, you know, we'll see how that works out in what we're talking about today. But uh, but it, 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 there's the underlying idea that what Gotham needs is a scary Batman to beat everyone up. I've always been kind of like, I wish he did some more things. I just feel like there's other things he could do.
3: But we can agree Robin's awesome, though, right?
0: I mean, come on... He's always been just fabulous.
3: <laughs> hmm. So, do you have have you had previous experience with Elseworld stories then?
0: A little bit. Um, you know, I was always a little bit more of a Marvel person than a DC person, but the thing about Elseworlds stories is that something crazy would happen. And so kind of like with Trey saying like he had trouble keeping up with like a multiple issue whatever if i didn't have a lot of investment like i didn't want to go out and like invest in a whole storyline so you know for example during the um the i think it was the manhunter saga right the the uh i forget what it was called what the actual thing was called but it was you know they're all the androids trying to get everybody um i bought one of these Mm -hmm. packs yep I bought one of these packs that included a lot of different issues. You know, sometimes comic shops are trying to move product. And since I had a not a big allowance, it's an easy way for me to get a lot of comics at once. And there was a bunch of those issues in there. And I was, like, so pulled in. So I started trying to buy stuff retroactively to, like, figure out the storyline. And it was so many issues of comics I didn't know anything about. I just couldn't – there's too big a chasm between me and DC to cross. But in Elseworlds world story, I knew enough about these characters, just from like the you know just the 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 uh, 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 culture of the comic shop or from cartoons on TV. I knew enough of a lot of the characters that an Elseworlds story could still be interesting to me because it was like a quick weird thing, you know. So I didn't have to be invested in the whole history of a character.
2: Yeah, and unlike Marvel's What If comics, usually they weren't entirely depressing.
3: No, like, you know, you didn't always have to have the, and now you see why 616 is the preferred reality, because everything goes to shit.
2: Because it'll be something inane, like, what if Cyclops had eggs for breakfast last week, and the result is, like, half the Marvel Universe explodes? Yeah. Like,
0: I feel you guys, but I gotta be honest, the the what if that was, uh, what if uh, Professor X was the juggernaut, that, that that was a classic for me. I, I read that thing a few times.
2: <laughs> there, there are some very good what ifs. I, I enjoy some of the good ones, but it always felt like there was at least, when they were, would do like the anthologies where it'd be a bunch of what if stories, there was always at least one that was really depressing.
0: I, I think a lot of them were depressing, but that was actually part of the appeal for me. Uh, I, 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 mm. as a kid, I was a dark kid who liked depressing things and there's a couple things I liked then that now I return to and, and realize that they were depressing, but they were depressing in a way that no longer appeals to me, you know? So like, um, uh, remember, remember the, the, when Wolverine, the Punisher and Ghost Rider went to hell, you remember that? I don't know if you guys remember oh that. yeah. Yeah, uh, you know, at the time I was like, "This, this shit is badass. This is some real badass shit." And then I tried to reread that as an adult. <laughs> was like, "What a this? There's nothing here. There's no story. What is going on? Who thought this was a good idea?" But you know, at the time it was just the fact that like they were going to hell because they're so dark and grim. You know, to sixteen year old me, I was like, "Yeah, that's all I needed, really."
2: And Marvel Marvel was so high on that they designed a custom logo just for that one book oh. that was like the Punisher Skull, but on fire like Ghost Rider, and the lines of the skull teeth were Wolverine's claws.
0: I mean, I knew people who had that on a T shirt and were thought it was the coolest thing ever. And now in retrospect I'm like, Oh, you guys were like proto edgelords. They were like pre Fedora internet guys. You know? <laughs>
2: I, I don't think there's a character that I have pulled a 180 on harder than, from when I was a kid, than Punisher. Oh yeah,
3: Punisher's objectively awful. It Like, just a horrible human being.
0: It's weird how he definitely started as a villain, then they made almost no changes to the character and sold him to us as a hero and that just went over with everybody yeah. and none of us stopped to go like
2: all that happened was all that happened was the rise of the Hollywood anti-hero yeah. yeah Yeah. especially cops for some reason like you got Death Wish and Dirty Harry movies and suddenly Punisher is like an awesome hero
0: I mean I'll take the first Death Wish over Punisher any day but that's just me
2: yes
3: so, as this is the inaugural episode of Flights of Fancy, this is also your inaugural edition of what is soon to be our most popular segment. That's right. It's Batwatch. He gave us a signal.
2: So, let's fire up the bat signal and take a look at what is uh, coming up in the way of batman movie news because there is a brand new batman movie in production directed by matt reeves so first up on the list is we have finally gotten a pretty good look at the new batmobile uh liam have you seen this
0: uh i have actually um i don't know what to think of it actually
2: it's got a very strong 70s vibe like like both just in terms of car design, but also in terms of what kind of cars Batman was driving in the 70s. Mm-hmm.
3: It's definitely a very muscle car.
2: Yeah, and, and that was sort of the time when like the artists who were drawing Batman were drawing a lot of inspiration from like Mustangs and Porsches and things like that. Do we know what era this is in? We do not. It is entirely possible this is set in the 70s or 80s. Oh, wow. Uh, we don't know. Uh, no real story information has come out, except that they might be drawing some inspiration from The Long Halloween, uh, which would put it around sort of Batman Year Two-ish.
3: Okay. And I know for a long time there was talk of doing a 1970s Batman movie. Mm-hmm. Like but but it seems like sort of thing.
2: it seems like at the very least aesthetically they're nodding to that, even if it's not actually set during that time period. Okay. Um. So so that's the that's probably the the coolest thing that, that we've seen is is the the new Batmobile. Um. But also, uh, on social media, Jeffrey Wright uh, took some photos where he showed off his brand new Commissioner Gordon mustache.
3: Yeah. Um, I have not actually seen this yet. I'm gonna to try to find it real quick.
2: Yeah, um, it, it's it's definitely Jeffrey Wright with, uh, with a mustache. Oh. <laughs> yep,
3: yeah, that's a mustache.
2: <laughs> which, which, you know, that's good. Uh, Commissioner Gordon should have a mustache. I've always judged versions of the character that, that did not have one.
3: Are, wait, are you saying that um the neil hamilton commissioner gordon for the 1966 batman tv show is not the definitive version of the character
2: (laughs) i i will swear up and down that whatever other problems i might have with the nolan trilogy gary oldman is the heart and soul of those movies and is maybe my definitive jim gordon have
3: you seen that meme that's gone around, like, that you're, you're shaving in the mirror one day and all of a sudden you stop and realize that you're G- been Gary Oldman the whole time?
2: <laughs> <laughs> that's
3: just how good an actor he is.
2: <laughs> that, that makes sense. It was years before I realized he was the, the creepy, disfigured guy in Hannibal, the sequel to Silence of the Lambs. Oh, yeah. Because he's uncredited in the movie. Hmm. Wasn't it, like, publicized, though? Well, I didn't see it in theaters. I I wasn't at that point. I was not going to like R-rated movies in theaters, so I was not as aware of those things. But anyway, um, enough of my uh, inability to recognize Gary Oldman under lots of <laughs> prosthetics. Um, the last note is, and this could very well change, but as we record right now production on the batman and all other warner brothers live action films is continuing despite the concerns over the current coronavirus situation
3: yeah and like like previous episodes guys we are recording this way ahead of time um yes. this may have changed by the time we you hear this in right. fact a just lot this
2: of- after just this afternoon universal pulled all of their stuff from production so this is definitely an evolving situation
3: Yeah, in fact, a lot of stuff may have changed um, by the time you hear this. The only thing we can do as a podcast is to just encourage you to be safe, um, wash your hands, don't touch your face, and we hope that this podcast is providing you a little bit of comfort in these really kind of scary times.
2: Also, whatever device you're listening to this on, laptop, phone, tablet, whatever, when you're done, sanitize it. You should do that every so often. We as a society do not sanitize our electronics often enough.
0: Also, if you're an alien in the future and you're trying to figure out what human society is like and this is where you decide to start, I think you should probably go somewhere else, buddy. I'm thinking This American Life or uh, Cereal was pretty popular. (laughs) I guess start there. So, I mean, this is good. You should listen to this. Put this in the queue. But if you're trying to understand the now dead human civilization, I just don't think this is the first listen.
3: So are you saying if they donate to us, they don't get a lovely tote bag? (laughs)
0: <laughs> oh, oh, man. No, by now, by the time this comes out, I've eaten all the tote bags.
2: <laughs> Hot sauce makes everything bitter. <laughs> so, uh, I think that does it for uh, this installment of Batwatch.
3: Anyway, <laughs> we should probably talk about the books we're going to cover. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what? I'm so- I missed something. No, I, just I was, was just laughing. Laughing.
0: That was a good segue.
3: <laughs>
2: anyway.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
2: we one should of those classic talk. James segues.
3: Which I'm never actually going to get to,
2: apparently. <laughs> <laughs> All of anyway. this is staying in, just so you know.
3: Anyway, on this episode of Flights of Fancy, we're going to be talking about the classic Batman and Captain America Volume 1, Issue 1. Also, the only issue, and Batman Volume 1, Issue 145, The Son of the Joker.
2: And just FYI, for anyone who might be reading along with us, uh, there are multiple stories in that issue of Batman, but we're specifically doing the third story, which is the the main story of the book. Uh, yeah,
3: Liam, we probably should have told
2: you that beforehand.
0: Yeah, I read all the stories. Thanks, guys. That was great. It was very enjoyable.
2: <laughs> You mean you don't enjoy like early silver age Batman comics? <laughs>
3: yeah. Wait, don't, don't don't tell us. We'll we'll wait. We'll yeah, we we'll we'll till there. we get
1: we'll
3: there. Get there. <laughs> we'll be right back after this message.
1: December 1933. You'd expect Chicago to be cold, but not this year. It's hotter than a kiss between Harlow and Flynn. And just as thrilling. Trouble's blowing in the Windy City. Capone might be in the big house but even a half-wit knows full well Al didn't leave the picture. But that's not stopping his lieutenants from squabbling over the scraps and it sure as hell ain't stopping the other gangs from trying to knock Capone's outfit down a few pegs. Any palooks with some tommies and attitudes are grabbing at that pie like a fat kid at Thanksgiving. But there's something brewing in Chicago's shadows and it's not that next batch of bathtub gin no, this is something that bites a lot harder and leaves a mark that won't heal anytime soon. My name's E.I. Wick, and I want to tell you about four Palooks just trying to beat the breadlines and survive the day-to-day. But life's got other plans for this private Jane and her three friends. To hear their story, then slide your feet to the dark side of the street and visit gunforhireap.com. That's gun with two ends. Gun for Hire. A Deadlands Noir actual play from Fear the Boot. More money. More power, more than a hero, he's a legend.
3: Batman. Not even the mighty Batman comics can contain them. Pumped up new heroes, massive new weaponry. Batman. Our guardian, Batman, a mighty blast from Batman's past. Cyborg Batman, present day criminals wonder is he man or machine? Future Batman rules the sky on power pack wings of steel. Now Batman's more than a hero, he's a legend. Legends Batman. Figures each sold separately.
0: Welcome back to Flights of Fancy. Our first story is Batman and Captain America, Volume 1, Issue 1 of 1. There's one. There's only one. From February 1997, a few months before I graduated high school, writer John Byrne, artist, John Byrne, inker, John Byrne, letterer, John Byrne, editor. Come on. This is John Byrne. Nobody edited this. Let's be serious. Uh, We open in uh, 1940s with uh, our, our first hero of the comic batman and robin they're chasing joker uh trying to to run him down before he escapes off the end of a pier and he leaves a nice little explosive present for them in his abandoned vehicle we cut to captain america with easy company by the way and uh they're fighting a nazi war machine which by the way kind of looks cooler than anything that was probably in that era of Captain America. But it's it's pretty cool. After destroying the Nazi war machine, Captain America's called back to the States for some sort of emergency. So him and Bucky head on over to Gotham for a special project that they still aren't sure what it is. On their way there, uh, they're supposed to be landing, and there's a special flight taking off that's hijacked. They have to stop this hijacked flight. Uh, they end up... Uh, Captain America tries to jump onto the plane, and before he is... Uh, Dropped to his death, Batman shows up to help him, which for me was a psychotic thing. Even though the comic is called Batman and Captain America, I just thought there'd be some way to, to get them together that involves science, but there was not. They're just there, and that's and then you gotta go with it. So that okay, they fight the Nazis, they land. Uh, there's some chatter back and forth to let us know they're aware of each other, and then Captain America has to go have a special meeting with the big brass. The big brass to talk about what's going on. And what's going on here is that uh, the Joker is trying to steal something from the the Gotham project, which is uh, basically the development of a nuclear weapon. Uh, for whatever reason, the U.S. military has decided Bruce Wayne is the most obvious suspect. He's a rich white guy, so it makes sense, but it also kind of doesn't make sense. Uh, their way in is to assign Steve Rogers. That's, for those of you who don't know, that's, that's, Cap- that's Captain America. I'm sorry. That's a spoiler. I'm sorry but he's Captain America. They assign him to guard Wayne as he's the ma- one of the major uh, investors in the project. Uh, as the story progresses, the, you know, Batman's not doing his Batman thing. Rogers is bored covering him. Wayne has got to get out of there to do his Batman thing. Of course, they got to fight. Mid-fight, their brains sink, and they realize the only other person who could be fighting the way that they're fighting would be Captain America. Well, Bruce Wayne figures it out first, and then Captain America puts it together. Now they're buddies. They're on the same team here. They gotta figure it out. They, they Now they know who each other are. Uh, they, they they, bring in Bucky and uh, uh, and uh, Robin in. They're gonna go to DC. They're gonna take care of this, this uh, menace that they think is pulling the strings on the Joker. You know, why would the Joker need a nuclear weapon? What, what's going on here? What, what's the deal? Of course, only one person could be manipulating the Joker. That's the Red Skull. It's gotta be the Red Skull. Who else is gonna be? It's the Red Skull. Um, he, he's hired Joker to steal this nuclear bomb, it seems like there's some suggestion that there's, Joker might want to have a ransom of this thing, I, it's not it's not clear to me uh, reading it through, maybe we can talk about it, but I, I wasn't sure uh, so, Joker gets in later on um, basically what they do is, this is actually kind of weird, Batman and Captain America they do a sidekick swap, uh, I don't know if that's just for, you know, giggles or fun, but they, they swap them um they uh bat, under investigation, Batman discovers Red Skull, him and Bucky get tied up. Red Skull leaves them for dead with an explosive. Maybe they're dead, maybe they're not, we'll find out in a little bit. At the same time, Robin and Cap head over to Gotham City. Of course they uh uh So Robin and Cap uh head to Gotham City. Um <clears throat> Joker shows up with his uh to collect his fee from Skull and of course skull turns on him and joker turns out didn't know he's working for a nazi apparently joker's not into nazis good for him that's probably the best part of the comic actually uh no i'm kidding S- uh, skulls men take the bomb and joker to the plane of course batman survived him and captain america and bucky and robin they show up they f- they in a bat plane they uh j- get on the plane they fight the red skull uh red skull is going to drop the bomb um uh, Captain America takes control of the plane. Capital's going to be saved. They're over the ocean, and Joker is in the in the bomb bay. He's going to he's going to uh, disable the ability to drop the bomb. He's fighting Red Skull. Bomb drops, and you know we're over the Atlantic Ocean. It's just a nuclear bomb. I'm sure it's not such a big deal. They just decide to fly away. Let that let that blow up, and, and it does. And uh, you know that's good. They, nobody got blown up. I mean millions of sea life dead and probably some residual radiation in the, in the water, but none of that matters. The point is years later, 20 years later, Batman and Robin specifically, Robin is now Batman and Robin is now the son of Batman. It's confusing, but it kind of makes sense. We'll talk about that later too. Uh, they discover Steve Rogers in the ice. He comes alive They've discovered Captain America. And now we're gonna have the whole Captain America out of the ice thing. It's great. It's fun. They all laugh at the end, and I think there was some music or something.
2: That's what happens.
3: I yeah, love I... this book.
2: You know, it's got a lot of fun stuff in it. It's it's cute.
1: Oh,
3: oh, oh. It, it it really is. Uh,
2: uh cute doesn't sound. I mean,
0: is cute a compliment or or is it is I I don't know. What it, what do you mean by that?
2: I mean, I, I I like the idea of the book, and there are things in the book that I like. There are a few places where John Byrne just seems to be, like, enjoying his own cleverness a little bit. Okay, like, what, what examples can you think of there? Um, like, I'm trying to find... Like, sometimes with the dialogue, like, um... I don't know, and some of it I think is just evoking that era of the, the 40s, like some of the dialogue he's trying to make it sound sort of like a 40s comic, and I don't know. It Some of it works, some of it doesn't. I do like
3: very much that um, he's invoking the Dick Sprang Batman here.
2: Yes, I do like that, and I, I love the, uh, the wide view of the Batcave we get that one time, which is a very Dick Sprang sort of thing.
3: Yeah, although comparing like the Dick Sprang depiction of the bat of the Bat Cave and like the John Byrne depiction of Bat Cave, I realize that John Byrne may not be a good as as good an artist as Dick Sprang was.
2: Probably, I mean that's fair.
3: Like I, I compared the two, and we'll tweet this out with around the time this episode drops. But the Dick Sprang Bat Cave is just so detailed, and one of the things I've realized about. John Byrne while reading this and some other stuff, I'm not sure I like John Byrne's tech.
2: Yeah. The the gadgets aren't quite as fun as the the actual Silver Age ones.
3: No. And like he's no Jack Kirby when it comes to depicting technology.
2: No. Well, the like even in this Batcave shot, like all of the Bat computer type stuff that lines the the edges of the cave, um it's just sort of bland.
3: Now, Liam, you're the John Byrne expert mm-hmm. on the podcast this week, but uh, I, I can't remember. Was his technology as squiggly as it is oh, here I would in say Alpha this Flight?
0: Is low squiggle. This has not even half the squiggles that I'm familiar with, and that was actually. And this again, this would just be a taste difference because I don't read a lot of Batman. I was looking at this, being like, "Man, Byrne really held back. This doesn't have quite the squiggle quotient that I would be looking for in a true John Byrne technology sort of depiction." And honestly, I would say, compared to uh, his art during Alpha Flight, as well as some other like you know stuff from the uh, '80s, um, I don't think the art in this pops as much. Like, I think there's a few interesting um, choices here. Uh, as far as like panels and stuff, which is sort of what I go to him for, is sort of some of the more interesting things, and and there's a little bit of detail work, you know, the when Captain America uh, knocks over the War Machine in 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 uh, in the, the that's opening sequence, and he jumps off the War Machine. There's a lot of detail there that's like real good, real good John Byrne detail, but then it kind of goes away quickly for the rest of the issue, and in only a few places do I see it, so. It's it's funny. Like not only is it maybe something in that style that you all aren't necessarily vibing with, it's also the mildest version of that style. Like as as a burn fan, I'm kind of like wishing he had done more.
3: What you're seeing there is actually what is referred to as a war wheel. Um, they were a common. Um, Machinery-based villain in the Blackhawk comics.
2: You know, it's funny you say that, because one of my notes is that it reminds me of the War Machines from the World War II Vandal Savage episodes of Justice League, and those were War Wheels. Oh,
0: yeah, okay. So the first reference I don't get, the second reference I very much do get.
2: Yeah, Okay. so Blackhawk being... uh, Originally Quality Comics, later DC Comics, uh, World War Two pilots.
0: Huh. Interesting. Yes.
2: So they, they were sort of like the pilot version of Easy Company.
3: But, you know, as far as Byrne goes, I really... John Byrne is one of my favorite artists. Uh, despite his many, many flaws. Uh-huh. As far, as far as his depiction of characters, I usually always enjoy... Uh, the way he draws characters, and he really made me fall in love with the, like, the 1940s,
2: 1950s Batman. And it's interesting, because comparing it to when he briefly got to draw Batman a little bit during the sort of post-crisis Man of Steel era, because I'm pretty sure he drew at least part of the first post-crisis Superman-Batman team-up. He did. Um, and And it's... I, I like this version better <laughs> yes it's that the action
3: here is good you you get like he seems like he's tightly wound and just ready to lash out you could see the
2: like the action and the strength tensing up in the muscles it's 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 good stuff and and liam you mentioned layouts one I, I do like some of the transitions from panel to panel. in this book. Like, uh, early on, you've got Batman and Robin jumping away from an explosion one way, and then the next panel is Captain America jumping away from an explosion the other way. Mm -hmm. And it's this nice sort of, if it was a movie, I'd call it a match cut, you know?
0: Yeah, definitely. Well, and I think that, um, I think that's one of his strengths. And I think that at first I was kind of stoked on this because I haven't read a lot of, like later 90s stuff from Burn and seeing some of the the overlapping panels and stuff, I was like, oh, this is cool. This is definitely more visually interesting. I just think in this, within the context of the issue, it just starts to get a, a, a tiny bit repetitive for me. I wish there was more stuff. Like the one scene I really like is where Captain America is coming off the airplane and then Batman sort of saves him from the Batplane. And what you have is that like wider picture with the two kind of off-kilter panels at the top with the wings kind of yep. going over the panel. I I like more stuff like that and I love when he highlights an emotion uh by having one single image that's like a whole page. You know what I mean? And and there, mm-hmm. there's not as much stuff like that, though. I will say this is still pretty interesting. It's still pretty interesting layouts and um, stuff uh that if if you're a Burn fan, I would be surprised if someone didn't like uh, that. I just was hoping for a little bit more uh because that's just my favorite thing about him.
2: And you called attention to this a little bit in your summary, but the page where they figure out each other's identities sort of accomplishes that too. Where you've I was got, like, to bring that the really big image of them as Steve and Bruce, mm-hmm. but with their secret identities sort of behind them in, in sort of black and white. Yeah, yeah I like, was
3: gonna point that out. I was mm-hmm.
0: go
2: ahead, go ahead.
3: I was just about to point it out the the way that the the panels with the fight kind of like taper taper down into the finally handshake. the handshake is really nice.
0: I mean I'm looking at it right now and the whole thing looks really nice. I think when I looked at it the first time, I was distracted by for me the whole we fight ourselves into the part where we realize what's going on. It's just not my favorite bit of writing, you know, maybe I just I'm not as stoked on some of the, like, you know, goofiness of that. So I didn't stop to notice well, and that the layout is really brilliant, actually.
2: In terms of storytelling, it's a bit of a trope that the superheroes fight until they figure out they're not supposed to fight. It is. And, and in and fact, this is not even the only time Batman and Captain America do this because they do the same thing in JLA Avengers.
3: And they do the same thing in Marvel vs. DC. Yep. So this is, like, the third time we've seen this. But I actually really like the whole little plot convenience of they've assigned Steve Rogers to be a bodyguard for Bruce Wayne.
2: Yeah, I... And this this is not Byrne's fault. This is a failing of, like, Silver Age Marvel. But I always thought the whole Steve Rogers secret identity is that he's a private and not a captain was kind of silly.
3: Uh-huh. I suppose.
2: I mean just, because like I mean back in those old stories, like every now and then he would get just sent off to the front lines as Private Steve Rogers. And it's like well what if they need Captain America? Like yeah. do, does the private go AWOL? Well and he, he, he used to get yes. in trouble.
3: Yeah, he used to get in trouble for like disappearing and stuff and he couldn't reveal um yeah to um uh Sergeant Duffy. Sergeant Duffy was his drill sergeant, and he kept on having to disappear to take care of Captain America business. And Sergeant Duffy's like, "Oh, I'm, I've got you this time, Rogers. You're 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 drummed out of this service for sure. You're going to the brig." And Duffy would just get orders saying, "Like, um, Private Rogers will return to his <laughs> barracks," and like, "Right."
2: He's like, "Ah, Rogers." Uh, and the other thing, going back to the sort of World War Two stuff, uh, I. This has to be the only time that Captain America and Sergeant Rock have officially met. Yes. It's... And and, and I, I got a kick out of that. I enjoyed that bit of crossover. They missed an opportunity, though. We mentioned the Blackhawks. Really, the pilot of Captain America's plane coming into Gotham should have been a Blackhawk.
3: Sure. I do like... This is probably my second favorite DC-Marvel crossover. Although, are we counting... Ooh, God, are we counting Amalgam? Uh, okay. <laughs> I, I I just love so many I I love this so much, but I also love like JLA Avengers. Liam, have you ever read JLA Avengers? No. It is gorgeously put together.
2: Yeah. And it's a and wild story.
3: It is. And it does that thing that you talk about where they actually explain how these two universes are crossing over with one another.
2: That's what
0: I really kinda and I wanted it at first, but I you know, I'll say that went away pretty quickly. Like once the story gets going, it's like alright, this is a world where they both exist. But I, I'll be honest, it's weird for me only in that one of the things I've always thought about Batman was that he's kind of skeptical of establishment types and maybe that's just a later view that comes from uh, you know, less traditional writers. But I've never thought of him as like interacting with, you know, Ca- at this point Captain America is basically an agent of the state. And uh, Batman yeah. always seems oh. like police are necessary but you know he only really likes a couple and certainly he's not trying to be like hey what's up actual agent of the state let's be buddies it just seems weird to me and
3: it's sort of a
2: generational thing
3: actually the batman of this era um was a fully deputized member of the police force and he even
2: had yeah because it's a joke in the 60s batman show but it was it was in the comics too Yes, he wow. even had a special badge
3: that was bat-shaped and was platinum with diamonds
2: inlaid.
1: Yeah. Well, that's because still he's not uh, just
2: a cop; he's a rich cop.
0: Well, yeah, <laughs> definitely, exactly, exactly. My point, but no, but I mean, in the other direction too. Uh, I'd also, you know, <clears throat> that doesn't completely solve my my question about them being like bosom buds because another trope is the idea that cops and feds don't always get along. So if Batman's just spooky cop, that still doesn't mean he's like, "Cool, I'm really stoked that the US government is investigating me because they think that I'm funding stealing a nuclear bomb." You know what I mean? Like all that kind of goes yeah. away pretty quickly and I you know, and these well, two it, just are what's like What's funny buddies. is they
2: what's funny is they sort of defy expectations by playing it the other the other way around like instead right. it's Captain America who's suspicious of Batman because Bruce Wayne has to be shady if he has that much money
3: yes that that, that was kind of funny and you know fairly accurate for nowadays um uh-huh. so <laughs> some other observations I had was it just me or did anybody else hear Diedrich Bader's voice when they were reading this
2: Batman? The, the Brave and the Bold cartoon? Yes. A, a little bit, yeah. Like, that that sort of self-serious but slightly tongue-in-cheek kind of mode seems to fit this dialogue.
3: Yes, very well, and it just... I kept on trying to put Kevin Conroy in there because he's my usual Batman voice in my head, but I cannot shake Dietrich Bader when the, with this uh, comic. Um, yeah,
2: it, well, it's a little bit... It's a little bit sillier than Kevin Conroy usually gets to be. So are we at the point where we're going to talk about that ending yet? Um, Probably. I did have one question, uh, just sort of an a offhand thing that happens when Bruce Wayne goes to the Wayne Foundation. Um, are we meant to assume that Nightguard O'Hara is related to Police Chief Miles O'Hara?
3: Ooh. Yeah. Although I was kind of weirded out the fact he looks like Willie Lumpkins.
2: This is also true.
3: So I'm like, "Oh, he lost his job as a security guard, had to change his name, move to New York and become a postman. Also, he's immortal." <laughs> cuz that's 20 years difference.
2: Right. Right. So, yeah, we can we can jump to the the back end of the the story here cuz this is where uh, the the theft of the bomb has gone awry I guess right which I I do have to say I'm a little weirded out by patriotic American Joker
3: but that's the thing that always get br- gets brought up from this one shot
2: it is like well, it, because it, it's so easy to turn those panels into a meme
3: they are it's,
2: but, can
0: I ask a clarifying question real quick sure what year what year did uh what year did uh Oh, what's that movie called? The Rocket or what is it?
3: Nineteen ninety one.
0: Nineteen ninety one? Is that are you messing with me? Or is that for real?
3: No, and this is a direct rip of that scene from The Rocketeer. Yeah. In fact, Trey yeah, The in Rocketeer.
0: The yeah, that's what yeah. I'm saying. It's it. Reading it, I was like, ah, oh, come on. Unless The Rocketeer yeah, they, came they, out in nineteen ninety eight, this is not cool.
1: Yeah.
2: They, no, they swapped they, out the gangster. For uh, Joker, and they swapped out Timothy Dalton for Red Skull.
3: And there is no way John Byrne didn't see the Rocketeer. No,
0: no, no, that, no that's a direct lift. I very much, like, read, like when that scene started, my first thought was, oh, they're going to say the Joker's Jewish. Okay, bold bold move, John Byrne, making the Joker Jewish. <laughs> <laughs> Which would have been fine. I actually don't think there's anything wrong with Joker being like, yeah, no, I... I uh, I, I, I love anarchy and I hate the state, but I'm also Jewish and uh, that doesn't work for me. But instead we went with let's lift directly from the Rocketeer almost, you know, exactly like it, the only thing that didn't quite happen is he doesn't quite join forces with that. Like he helps them, but it's not the same thing as like actually sort of back to back fighting with Batman and Captain America. You know what I mean? It, like, he, just not re- he just that. reverts to being an agent of chaos. Right,
3: right. Yeah. Right, right. If he if he had a chance to kill Batman during his whole fight at any time, he would have taken it.
0: Yeah.
2: But like, I just like his solution like, is to literally jump on the bomb and start smashing things with a hammer. <laughs> He's never been a tactician,
0: is what you're saying. He's never been a tactician.
3: <laughs> <laughs> no. Um,
2: All right. And and so also that's that that last scene where uh, the the bomb has fallen and. Um, made a whole section of the ocean radioactive that's got to be like the origin for some sort of dc universe kaiju or something right (laughs) (laughs) well and i you know this has always been my issue
0: with uh uh classic comic books moving into when i was reading comics in the 80s which is like um comics for a long time could kind of live without connection to reality But there was always the issue of all the comics acknowledging World War II, right? Like, post- World War II, unless you're in a specific Vietnam comic, we're just in some time, and it doesn't matter. And maybe it reflects our world, maybe it doesn't. But there was this moment where reality incurred, and then you have to do some amount of work to figure out where we are in place to that thing that we all know that happened at a specific time. Um, And so, like, with Captain America, the freezing thing kind of makes sense. So, bring that in here and and it's got to be, you know, different Batman and different Robin and it's whatever, you know what I mean? There's a part of me that's kind of like, oh, right, I I have always kind of hated this thing where these comics, on one hand, I like that they involve this real world thing. On the other hand, it's always made the math of later years be difficult to figure out, like how long, exactly how long, for example, I'm an X-Men person what is the actual time period going on in the lives of the X-Men? How old are they when, by the time that they form X-Factor? Are they right. in their 30s now? Like, it's, I, I just never, and and I almost <laughs> didn't need it. I almost didn't need to know. But then you have this event where you're like, well, I know what year that happened, so how far are we from that? You know what I mean? It suddenly puts it in the real world.
2: Yeah. Well, and, well, and this is, going to the last scene of this comic, this actually launches a whole, like, John Byrne project in the DC universe called Generations.
3: Right. According to the Crisis on Infinite Earths um, compendium, this story is the first appearance of Earth 3839, which is the home of the Superman and Batman Generations mini that are a sequel to this one shot. Yeah. Uh, the, the,
2: hmm? Well, and, and so, like, in, in those, like, you start with original Batman and Superman in sort of their original time period, and you just extrapolate from that kids and grandkids.
3: Yeah, like, this, the name 3839 actually originates from the years 1938 and 1939, the years that both characters originally appeared. And reading this for the show, I actually started going back and rereading Generations again. <laughs> because it's it's honestly one of my favorite Elseworlds. Because, not so much for Bruce and Batman, but for their kids and grandkids, it's really interesting like, the version of Robin Jr., or Robin II, who appears in Generations, uh, Bruce Jr., he he, he has, a, like, a kind of partnership-slash-romance with the Supergirl of that universe, um, who is Kara Kent, Clark Kent, and Lois Lane's daughter. And I've always really liked that partnership, and I really like the version of the Titans that appears in that mini. Uh, they call themselves the, the Justice League of America because Justice Society was already taken by their parents. Hmm. It's 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 a lot of fun. It's one of my favorite minis, and we're gonna to to talk about it on the show at some point. Yeah, because... and
2: even um, more recently, I- I'm a Grant Morrison guy. Uh, I love me some Grant Morrison, and he, in his multiversity event that he did, which had single one shots that were in all these different earths of the DC multiverse, one of them was called I think the Just, and it was sort of a retooling of the generations idea. It's all sort of second and third generation superheroes. Um, but in a world where their parents have saved the world so many times that there's nothing left for them to do, and they've all become, like, internet famous just for being kids of superheroes. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: Which which it ends up being kind of a fun, like, commentary on celebrity and uh, social action and stuff in the modern day. I don't know. Thanks, I hate it. (laughs) Yeah. But, But, yeah, no, this... for we for all the joking we said of this is the one and only issue of this there is a life for at least the dc characters that come out of this beyond this one issue one
3: so there's two minis uh generations one and generations two and then there's a 12 issue mini generations three which is kind of awful yeah like we're talking john burns starts talking about how much he likes to look. okay we won't you know the thing I'm talking about.
2: Burn burn is going to burn. D- d-
3: d- some of the burn creepiness creeps in.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I also and again, we we've, we've talked a lot about this as a burn comic, but like, you know, the DC Marvel crossovers as a thing started back in the 70s. You know, they had Superman Spider-Man and then they had uh, in I think right at 1980 uh, Batman Incredible Hulk and those were like the two big ones for the longest time and can you imagine if this crossover had happened in that time frame like if we'd gotten a bronze age Englehart Aparo Batman and Cap story
3: I would have liked to have seen a Jim Faro Captain America yeah that's fun
2: well and Englehart wrote both characters in the 70s and 80s
3: he did oh man yeah now I really want to see that right
2: I mean, obviously, Uh, if they'd done that, they would have done probably like the other two crossovers just set in the current age of comics instead of making it a flashback story.
3: Yeah, I I really (sighs) dig the World War II setting for this, but that's just because I really like World War II
2: stories. Yeah, and it's fun for these characters because it's what we associate Captain America with, and it, it automatically puts us with a certain version of Batman who is most likely to get along with Captain America.
3: Yeah, it's and even then, you, you kind of marvel at how different they are.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Even in that fight scene, which you mentioned earlier, there's a kind of black and white motif they've got going on there. Even in civilian clothes, Bruce, Bruce Wayne is almost melting into the shadows.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, and, and of course, Captain America notes how all of his fighting techniques are these various like East Asian martial arts and stuff, whereas Captain America is sort of... ...doing military-style combat. Yeah. Although, I will point out one thing about that fight. The only
3: thing I kind of regret about that is that... ...in that in that scene where Cap, where Bruce Wayne reveals that he knows that Captain America is Captain America... ...that his speech balloon doesn't sh- switch to one of those little bat-shaped speech balloons... ...that Burn does sometimes for Batman.
2: Oh, to, held... to suggest the bat voice? Yes, suggest the bat voice, because that's always fun to me. Yeah, I, I will say my if I had a complaint with the characterizations, it's Bucky and Robin at certain times come of come off as a little bit interchangeable. I well, think and that
0: they they the rivalry seems fake to me. It doesn't feel like they would be that immediately like this Joker over here, huh? who thinks he's so great, this Joker. Hey, Batman, this guy's a Joker, right? It's crazy how Bucky's a Joker. He's a real Joker.
2: It almost makes sense for Bucky, because, you know, I I can see where from his point of view, it's, well, I'm a real soldier, and they're just playing dress-up.
3: Yeah, Bucky, but also at the same time, Bucky is actually a little bit less polished than Dick Grayson. Yeah. Like, there is no question that Dick Grayson is the better fighter.
2: Right, well, and... and Also, there are various points where Robin... It it is clear that Batman does trust Robin to go off and do things on his own if necessary. Or with, uh, with another hero. Whereas, like, Bucky just sort of gets left alone for long stretches of time.
3: Yeah. Like... For instance, I don't think Robin would be cooling his heels in a hallway during a briefing, right? I think Robin would just be like in there with them,
2: whether they liked it or not, right? So, yeah. But I-, I thought there were some weird quirks to to the characterization of the sidekicks, which again could just be Byrne trying to evoke the the tone of those nineteen uh, forties stories.
3: Yeah, it- it's. <sighs> It's hard for me to love look past my love for this story, because I really do love it a lot. Because it is the first part of the Generations universe, which I love so much, and I love the characters so much, and I like Burn so much. It's just, oh, it's such a fun book, in my opinion.
2: Yeah, no, like I say, I there, I I enjoy a lot of stuff in it. I, I've got quibbles, quibbles. Liam is still with us.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I just, I you know it's fine. <laughs> I, I think it's I think uh I think I like Bird when he's being weird. And it, this doesn't this is not that. Um and I think I find Captain America very endearing, but um for my taste, I think that Bird is much more capable of writing Batman who is, you know, uh, okay, but this this version it's the it's really the way that him and Robin interact in this per, in this style that you know the, the the commenting to each other on what's going on that like doesn't feel real to me. It it, it feels like by nineteen ninety seven you're only doing that as like a weird pastiche thing, and it 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 for whatever reason just doesn't click with me. Um, and I kind of prefer the idea of them having some sort of rivalry that they work through. That just is like more my vibe, I guess. Uh, on the other mm-hmm. hand, I even though we just made fun of it, that it's such a clear ripoff from Rocketeer, I kind of like that Joker's like, wait, I've been working for this guy? Like, I, I kind of appreciate that <laughs> moment. So, you know, it, it's as much as I was kind of like, John Byrne is clearly clearly unapologetically stealing from another source, on the other hand, it's like, well... What what else is he gonna do? Uh, Joker stoked that him and and, uh, and Red Skull are buddies? No, I mean at, at minimum, just an ideological level doesn't make sense. You know that that Joker's obviously an anarchist of some kind, even if it's only an emotional one, and uh, and Red Skull, you know, is a fascist. So these two are not really gonna be friends, even if even if they have some sort of interaction on a business level. So th- there's parts of it I, I really like, but I, you know it's it's just not my style. And it's not my favorite thing from Byrne when I feel like some of his writing can be really strange. And I like that. I really am attracted to when he's at his weirdest.
2: Yeah, and I think there's probably a significant difference between his style when he's doing the DC Heroes versus his style when he's doing something like Alpha Flight or even Fantastic Four.
0: Yeah, that's probably true. I I, Honestly, I haven't read enough of his DC stuff, only a few things here and there, and I probably want to read some more just to see how he does mess with it when he has a character who's more uptight, you know? But, you know, he's done weird things. Yeah, I mean, probably his,
2: his run of Man of Steel, like, right after Crisis, where he was solely responsible for relaunching Superman, like, that's probably the closest you get to his version of Captain America here.
0: Sure, that makes sense. I mean, this did feel... I guess that was my other thought, is that what exactly is the difference here just on a interaction level between Batman and, and, and Captain America and Batman and Superman? Like, is like... It, it, just like they're, you know... They, they seem very amicable, but I, I don't know, I kind of wanted some of the, the, like, good-natured tension that I see in other sort of team-ups Batman has, you know?
2: Yeah. Yeah, and that's... That is, again, I, I think he's evoking something like the old school like world's finest kind of style where the heroes are very chummy once they figure out they're on the same side uh which which is a i mean it's like you said it has to do with sort of doing the pastiche of the time period
0: i do very much enjoy captain america dropping a nuclear bomb and then having the gall to say the world has changed but maybe not for the, you know, the, uh, a wonderful, but also terrifying way. And I'm like, bro, you just did it. You just did the, yeah. you can't be remorseful you now. The You're ocean. the one who decided it was time.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> but it was a very bird thing to do. That was maybe my most Bernie moment was like that. Burn was like, yeah, then he drops a bomb and then he kind of regrets it because the world is going to change. I'm like, yeah, that sounds like John. Crick.
2: Well, the other thing that, that, occurred to me during that last scene as they're fighting on the airplane and as robin and bucky are struggling in the bat plane like the first time i read this in the back of my head i'm thinking no in this one issue burn is not gonna do the bucky death is he he's not gonna kill bucky with a nuclear Uh, explosion like in this one issue
3: and he didn't and And he didn't for for some reason i remember this is where captain america died or like got lost at sea Mm. In the story. Well, because of I'm the glad... ending. Yeah, but I'm glad I was wrong. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. So, so some version of the Baron Zemo fight still happens after the story.
3: Yeah, which is good, because that would have been weird. Yeah. I mean, it's still weird that Captain America is found by Batman and
2: Robin. Instead of Namor? Yes. but At least um... he wasn't Batman,
0: at least he wasn't Batman 2. At least he was found by Batman and not Batman 2
2: this is true and that is a wonderful segue because we've got another story to cover in this episode
3: right so we'll be right back with batman volume one issue 145 right after this message
2: do you like spooky movies hair raising tales insightful criticism judgmental hot takes then you're gonna love car business the horror podcast and the cinepunks podcast network dedicated to all things weird and spooky my name is Leo Don And I'm Justin lore And every episode, we're gonna tear apart your favorite and not so favorite horror movies to get to the bottom of what makes these movies great or maybe not great. <laughs> Whether it's The Beyond,
0: Prince of Darkness, or Inseminoid, we dive in on a double feature every episode and then we talk about it. Some of our insights are great and sometimes we just complain. So if we have to suffer through it, so do you. Horror business, available anywhere you find fine podcast products. <laughs>
1: gotham cornerstone yes we seem to be down to our last diet cook a gentleman is on his way to pick some up just look for a black car no this black car will be rather difficult to miss and by the way the gentleman is usually in quite a rush
0: Just for the t-
3: Welcome back to Flights of Fancy, a Batman Elseworlds podcast. Our second and last issue for this episode is Batman, Volume 1, Issue 145. Cover date on this one is February 1962, and the story we're talking about is The Son of the Joker. Writer is Bill Finger. Artist is Sheldon Moldoff. Inker is Sheldon Moldoff. Letter is Stan Starkman. Editors are Murray Botanoff and George Cashton. Alfred is writing his fanfics again, imagining a future in which Bruce Wayne is retired from the role of Batman to raise a family with former Batwoman Catherine Kane. An adult Dick Grayson is now in the role of Batman, and Bruce and Kathy's son, Bruce Jr., has taken on the role of Robin. In the new dynamic duo's latest adventure, they are judging a water skiing race. But the Cape Crusaders are shocked when a trophy for the race is stolen by a new villain calling himself the Son of the Joker. Failing to capture the new Joker, Bruce Senior decides to go visit the original in the guise of the original Batman. As they sip lemonade in the former clou- in the former Clown Prince of Crime's quaint little cottage, the Joker informs Batman that he never had a son and that this new villain must be an imposter. Shortly afterwards. Batman 2 and Robin 2 receive a letter from the new Joker which contains clues that he plans to steal an ancient Roman necklace from a nearby film production. The theft results in a chariot race to the streets of Gotham, resulting in the son of the Joker getting away again. An examination of the treads of the chariot, however, revealed that they contain fresh tar from the recently paved road outside the house of the original Joker. Realizing the two must be in cahoots, the Dark Knight and Boy Wonder rush off to investigate. Meanwhile, at stately Wayne Manor, Bruce Sr. remembers a case from years before, where the original Joker placed tar on a tire tread as bait for a trap. Concerned for the fate of his young successors, he once again dons the costume of the Batman, and makes his way to the Joker's cottage. Sure enough, when he arrives, he finds the dynamic duo, being held captive by the Joker and son. After a raucous fight, you can almost hear the Batman 66 fight music playing during the father and son ne'er-do-wells are captured, and Joker's Jr.'s mask comes off to reveal him to be a criminal hired by the original to take revenge on the Batman family.
2: Well, this is definitely a different era of comics. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. And those, those Batman 2 and Robin 2 costumes are pretty hideous. All they did was
3: they slapped a golden Roman numeral 2 on the front of each. They're not even in the symbols. No,
2: like they're literally just below the, the symbol. It just, it it's, doesn't make sense. It's bad, clumsy, lazy design.
3: I actually liked what Byrne did in, you know, the Captain America comic we just read. Mm-hmm. Where he made Dick Grayson the yellow oval Batman.
2: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. To show the, the passage of time, yeah.
3: Yeah, so, like, the original Batman is the original Golden Age costume, and then the Silver Age new look Batman is Dick Grayson. That made sense.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, also, just before we get into the very silly story, um, can I just rage a little bit at... The, the Bob Kane signature at the bottom of The Splash? Oh, please. Because, it, mostly because, not only did Bob Kane not draw this comic, but it's written by Bill Finger.
3: Yeah. He had nothing to do with
2: it. So. And and Bob Kane should just be, like, shouted at whenever possible. I know he's dead. I don't care. Shout at him anyway.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's... <laughs>
3: They're not even using Bob Kane's style anymore. They're using no. Dick Sprang's style.
2: Yeah, yeah. No, I am perfectly fine with the special thanks all over the, the Captain America comic to Dick Sprang, but Bob Kane's name does not belong anywhere on this comic.
3: No. So, I had a lot of comics to choose from when I was deciding what would be the backup feature sure. for this <laughs> episode. Um But this one was the craziest.
2: (laughs) Well, I mean, because it's Alfred's fanfic. It is
3: Alfred's fanfic. Now, again, according to the Crisis on Infinite Earths compendium, this story takes place on Earth-40.
2: Which is Alfred's imagination.
3: Well, except there are other stories that take place on Earth-40.
2: Did he write those too?
3: Well, they involve Wonder Woman and Superboy growing up in Metropolis, so... Oh, Actually, I'm very. I would be very frightened to read Alfred's Wonder Woman fanfic.
2: That that sounds terrifying.
0: <laughs> I just can't imagine him writing this and then handing it to to Batman. Like, yeah, this is what I came up with. It's pretty good, right? I named him Batman Two. I thought you'd like that. That is Batman, but I I added a two. <laughs>
2: It's also sort of like if if Watson writing up the Sherlock Holmes cases like just handed them over to Sherlock Holmes to read instead of publishing them. Right.
3: Well, okay. So like I actually read all of the the Batman 2 and Robin 2 stories to pick out which one was the weirdest. Okay. <laughs> um they're all damn weird.
2: Sure, makes sense.
3: Uh for instance, in the in the first story, um Batman goes on television to announce his retirement.
2: Oh, that's smart.
3: <laughs> and that Robin will be coming on as Batman Two to take his place.
2: That's oh terrible. <laughs> he just says a, a just just announces it on television because and I'm like <laughs> every other version of that transition, be it Burns' generations or uh, Jean-Paul Valley taking over in the '90s, or even. The uh, Liam and I were talking about a little while ago, the Grant Morrison run where uh, Dick Grayson takes over and Damian is Robin. Like, they've always gone out of their way to make it seem like no change has happened.
3: Right, there is only one Batman. And that happens in Generations, too, which definitely takes some cues from the story. Yeah. Um, like, there can
2: be more than one Robin, but there's always one Batman.
3: Yeah, like, they don't make G- Bruce Jr. dye his hair like Jason Todd. Right. Like, you will look just like Dick Grayson. <laughs> but, uh. uh
0: is, is, is the only one Batman <laughs> thing different with Batman Incorporated? Because I, I didn't read any of those comics, so I don't really know.
2: So that's where um, it gets interesting because Batman sort of creates a network of Bat heroes. Most of them don't call themselves Batman, most of them have different names. Okay. But, but he. That is the one time when there are two Batman running around, because Bruce Wayne is, like, Batman Prime, I guess. But also Dick Grayson was still operating as Batman in Gotham.
3: Because Dick Grayson Batman is awesome.
2: Yeah, yeah he is. It just, so it just, so that was the one time when there were two Batman, but it worked because there, were, there was a whole international network.
0: And you didn't need to... The thing about Batman, too, is that you gotta let everybody... Like, what exactly is the point? of having a secret identity if you make sure people know exactly who you are and how long you were. the, It just doesn't seem to make any sense. The idea that Batman is a mantle passed down seems to work with the whole thing so much more. Unless what we're saying is it's just some sort of weird marketing. In which case, it's like... I don't know. Then then we're complicating the whole idea.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well,
3: like, how crazy is the scene... Where Batman goes to have lemonade with the Joker at his cottage.
2: Oh, that's so creepy. That's that's actually, like, friendly neighbor Joker is actually weirder to me than patriotic American Joker.
0: <laughs> it's
3: just like, he's just working in his, he's working in his, um, in his garden. Like, I, awesome. I imagined
2: him with, like, a Fred Rogers voice for a minute, and that really bothered me.
3: Oh, God, let's... Hold on. Let me see if I can do it. <laughs> um... Uh, oh, God. Hello, I gotta... Hello, boys and girls! It's a dear old Uncle Joker. <laughs> it's a wonderful day in the neighborhood...
2: No, fuck. I can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we, we can't all be Mark Hamill.
3: No. Oh, I usually can do it, but... No, I just can't... I can't do him as Mr. Rogers. It's just...
2: <laughs> Um, while we're on the subject of of weird jokers, though, I am equally disturbed by Joker Two or Joker Junior or whatever in nothing but swimming trunks,
3: where it's obvious that his whole body is not white like right. his father, right? Quote unquote.
2: Yeah, it's and it's a creepy look. It is a real creepy look. It
3: it it really it really is, and of course, his body type looks nothing like that when he's unmasked at the end.
2: No, not at all.
3: Like, were there multiple, like, Joker Juniors? Like, there's one who can water ski, there's one who
2: can (laughs) fight. Did we just uncover the secret Silver Age inspiration for the Three Jokers storyline? I think we did. (laughs) Uh, And while we're on the the boat race, uh, which Batman 2 and Robin 2 are somehow judging... Uh, what? Did Aquaman and Aqualad cancel at the last minute?
3: Also, how do you judge a race?
2: Y- you don't.
3: Like, I'm pretty sure there's a clear winner. Right. Uh, I just... feel
0: like if you look closely at old Joker, he also is not all white. And that's weird. Like, I was weird. I, I thought Joker was supposed to be all white all over. Isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Old yeah. Joker has pink hands, like he definitely just has makeup on his face, which makes
2: him so. There's, there's some. There's some pages that are miscolored, I think.
3: Oh, uh, also, okay. can we point out the fact that, like Joker Junior, we're we're talking we're, we're talking about hands here. The son of the Joker, or Joker Junior, as I call him, has doll hands.
2: Yeah, they're yeah. Very small he has feet. creepy little hands. Like.
3: Uh. Ugh. Yeah, and also
2: somehow when he is unmasked, he looks like Edward G. Robinson.
3: Yes. He's unmasked and all of a sudden he
2: gains like fifty pounds. And is an old man. Yes. But also it was the mid sixties, so I guess like a twenty something would could possibly look like that. <laughs> Another reason I chose this
3: story is this story has actually been adapted twice. Really? Um well, okay. Um, there is a version of the story in um, Superman Batman generations.
2: okay that makes sense. yes I've I've read that yes yes
3: and of course it turns out at the end that Joker Jr is actually just the original Joker in makeup
2: mm. that and also he... that that works better than this but only just.
3: Yeah <laughs> I actually love the the design for Joker jr in that because he's got like sideburns. Interesting. Like, mutton-chop-style sideburns and dresses in, like, 60s mod-style. Okay. Like, I just dig mod Joker. And, of course, um, there's another big thing in that, that happens in that issue I won't talk about. Okay, sure. He kills Dick Grayson, Batman. Mm-hmm. And that's how Bruce Jr. becomes Batman.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: But also, uh, this story was actually adapted for Batman Brave and the Bold.
2: Okay. That makes a lot of sense.
3: Um, the episode Nights of Tomorrow, which we actually steal some of our audio for our intro for, um, includes a story where Alfred is writing a fanfic, basically, <laughs> about yeah. um, Batman kind of settling down and retiring. Now, in that, in that episode, he settles down with Selina Kyle, Catwoman.
2: Right, which is the traditional, like, Earth-2 thing. Yeah, and they
3: have a son named Damien. Of course they do. Who is kind of like, um, I don't want to be a superhero like you, Dad. Uh, Maybe I want to do some other things in my life. And then Joker Jr. shows up and kills his parents at the opening of a Batman museum. And Damien kind of has to become Dick Grayson's Robin to help avenge their deaths.
1: Hmm.
3: Which is actually a better story than this. It,
2: It is. It is. Also, it, it, it's worth noting that of the two stories that we've talked about this episode, this is the only story that has any women at all in it, and uh, former Batwoman Kathy Kane is sidelined by a cold the whole time. Oh yeah, that's complete bullshit. <laughs> yeah, it is.
3: Like, in, in Kathy Kane's first appearance, which I've also read recently, she's a complete badass. Yeah. Like... Even though the writers saddle her with weird cosmetic-based weapons. Yeah,
2: because she had a utility purse instead of utility belt.
3: Yes, and she, her powder puff was like tear gas. <laughs> but, I thought they but, were all like, tear gas. They're she, not
0: all tear gas is what you're saying?
3: No. <laughs> you know, I, I haven't gone to the makeup store in a while. Uh, maybe they are now. That, that, that makes sense. the new thing, yeah. Keep, keep ladies safe on college campuses. There you go. Uh, but, um, she's definitely more a capable person than this. Yeah. She could definitely overcome a cold.
2: Like, it would be one thing if she was like, no, I'm retired and you are too, Bruce. Stop being silly. But no, she's like claiming to be sick and not able to fight.
3: Yes, and this is actually a problem that happens in all of the Batman 2, Robin 2 stories. Is it that inevitably they have to be rescued by the original Batman at the end?
2: Mm Mm-hmm. Well, because you have to remind people that the original Batman is the best.
3: Yes, but in every story that happens.
2: Yeah, yeah. I can see where that would become the formula, and I can see where that would be disappointing.
3: Yes, and I think that's probably the reason that this universe only appeared like five times
2: yeah and, and it's interesting like talking about this and talking about burns generations like the other comic that did this sort of passage of time passing of the mantle really really well was the now comics, super sons i was gonna say now comics green hornet
3: oh okay
2: which basically did the the same sort of thing
3: we should talk about the Super Suns sometimes. The original, not the not the new ones. Although, yeah. they're good, too. The new
2: one is good, too. But, yes, the Super Suns, uh, Batman Jr., Superman Jr. team-ups.
3: Liam, have you read the Super Suns stuff?
0: No, I don't know anything about it.
3: It's another imaginary tales type thing. We'll probably talk about it on the show at some point. It's just like...
2: <laughs> yeah.
3: It's li- just like it sounds.
2: Yeah, it's if Superman had a son and Batman had a son, and they both oh also became superheroes.
0: Uh, there's some, but, okay. This whole this whole passing things down to your children thing really does feel like some sort of weird patriarchal like inheritance stuff. Like this, th- everything about it is just very strange. Like not that it couldn't happen that of course your your kid might want to but it feels so assumed like of course the and you know, robin is the, my son you know like why though why is that i don't know why why is that happening?
2: well it, you know it's funny i was thinking the exact same thing reading this story because it hit me part way through like what we've got here is we've got batman and robin completely abstracted pulled away from the tragic backstory that's supposed to create that kind of character right like they're just doing it because they're supposed to
0: one well, and, and and at what point does batman th- say i know i've lived alone with a ward for many years but i think i'm finally ready to settle down and have a kid i think it's the time has come like i really like am pretty sold on the idea that batman dies alone and, and I, this whole like I guess I'll just retire and live in my house with my wife and let my kids take care of, you know, my, my ward and my actual biological child take care of this whole world thing.
3: Yeah. Well, like, we keep on bringing up Generations, and I apologize to listeners if you're starting to hearing about it, but they kind of do that, they kind of play with that in Generations. First off, in Generations, they never reveal who Bruce Jr.'s mother is. Every time she appears, her, her face is hidden, which is basically John Byrne telling us it doesn't matter.
2: Um, <laughs> that's a very burned thing it's so. a very burned thing if you notice also the burn story that we talked about for this episode I don't think there was a single woman in the whole story
3: I, I don't there wasn't there really wasn't but also you know yes Bruce Wayne has his tragedy yes Dick Grayson has his tragedy but BJ as he's called in Generations I apologize again listeners but Bruce Jr. doesn't have a tragedy when, right. he, when he becomes Robin, he doesn't have a tragedy, and Byrne plays with that, where at the end of the story, he has a lot of tragedies.
2: Right. That, it, that sort of propel him forward.
3: Yeah. Like, by the time he ends his career as Batman, spoilers, um, he, he's actually had the worst of any Batman. Like, his mentor gets killed his wife gets killed on their wedding day. It's it's bad. He that he he that's how he becomes dark 80s 90s Batman. Which is what he becomes uh, in the story.
2: That makes sense.
3: Yes, including an image style armor. Mhm. Well,
2: uh, that that's that's the time period for it.
3: Yep. I, sorry, I've been reading Generations again, like I said. I I'm really enjoying it because I really enjoy yeah. Generations.
2: Um, but, but whereas here, you don't have that. Like, like, there really is, like, the story opens with Bruce and, and Kathy just handing over uniforms and being like, well, it's your turn. Which is a bit
3: of retcon here, because in the actual original origin story of Batman 2 and Robin 2, Kathy is very resistant to her son becoming Robin.
2: Mm -hmm. Well, and there's a hint at that here. There's one bit where she says something about I'm afraid I'm like all mothers I'm always worried
3: yeah but they've kind of skipped past that and just be like oh yeah she eventually accepts accepts it she's good
2: now um I mean it, it's it's a it's a goofy little story it's it's not offensive or anything it's just weird it is. I, I mean, I, f-
0: I find I find Batman Two a little offensive. Just it seems the whole design is so lame, and the fact that it, you would put two on the costume, all of that is kind of like, come on, guys. Yes, but no, it no. Was the funny. the costume it was is fun upsetting. To read,
3: yeah, I I think the biggest problem here is there is nothing to differentiate Batman Two from his predecessor. Right there, there are no character traits to differentiate him. There's no difference in the kind of story being told differentiates him there's not a break here they don't it's kind of a waste opportunity
2: also i i don't know if you have the comic in front of you right now but if you go to the very last panel of the story where alfred is handing his story over to bruce um somehow in this one panel Alfred has transformed into Steve Buscemi cosplaying as John Waters.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> yes. And I can't unsee that. Nope.
3: <laughs> no, no one can see that now.
2: Um, so I'm going to have to, like, take a screen capture of that and share that to the Twitter because it is... It might be the most frightening image in the whole comic. You're right. He's just so
3: happy with his fanfic. (laughs) And just like... And Bruce is just like, oh, Codger's losing it.
2: Yep. (laughs) Like, you're just gonna add this to the fireplace.
3: And this isn't even like, you know, I raised you from a young boy, I just want you to be happy, Alfred, either. This is... Um, I showed up at your door one day and decided I was going to be your butler when you were already Batman and Robin. Yes, Alfred.
2: yes. This is before they retconned him to be like a part of the family.
3: It's like, hey, I know I just showed up at the door one day, but I'm just going to start writing fanfic about your future.
2: <laughs> so, yeah. So that that, I think... I don't know that I have a whole lot more to say about this son of the Joker imaginary story. No. It's just it, it's a weird one.
3: Oh man. Um so I guess this is uh Liam where we thank you for coming on the show.
2: Yeah. Hey thanks and for apologize.
3: Me, guys. And I apologize for giving you two books you apparently hated. <laughs>
0: No, I, I was, I'm definitely enough of a Burn fan that I'm glad I read that, uh, even if it wasn't my favorite. I, I wish it was a little weirder, but um, I'm still glad I read it. The other thing, that story was fun, I just didn't realize I didn't have to read the whole comic, so I read the other two stories, which were <laughs> less amusing. Well, what did you think of those? It's not my time period, man. Like I just was reading them, being there are so many times where the clues that Batman was using to solve things were not clues, and that he was just like yes. taking two facts that were easily observed, smushing them together, and making a wild leap of logic that just happened to be true. And it was, it was wild. I've I don't think I've ever seen. I've ever, you know, all the Batman comics I've read that have bothered to include clues, he's actually doing detective work, and the other Batman comics I've read have just had him come out of the night and beat someone up, you know what I mean? Like, it, the idea that he's in broad daylight Hawaii, not actually finding clues, was just crazy to me.
2: It, it, it was a weird era for, for Batman, and part of it, you know, this is, what, 62? Like, we are right on the cusp of going full-on camp Batman 66.
3: Well, we're actually right on the cusp of the new-look Batman, where right. Carmine Infantino's like, okay, we're going to start taking it seriously. And then the Batman 66 show comes on, and we're like, okay, we're going to ignore all this new serious stuff you're doing, and we're going to take the inspiration from all these comics from, like, ten years ago.
2: Right. But, Be- but then that starts to, like infect the comics again like as the show becomes popular you start getting weirder campier comics again
3: yeah like right as they were starting to become serious because Carmine Infantino was like why is our Batman stuff still like you know from the 40s and while we have like Green Lantern and Flash all rebooted it doesn't make sense
2: yeah Uh, so so it's a weird era
3: yeah it's weird, because apparently, like, William Dozier, when he was making the 66 series, um, he was inspired by uh, he, some, like, old Batman comics he found. So that's the stuff he wanted to and, base on. And
2: also the serial, the, yes. the two serials, because they had been aired on television and ended up being a surprise hit, but as comedy.
3: Yes. It's just... Ugh. Like I love the 66 series so much, but I understand where some Bat fans are just like it came at the worst possible time.
2: Yeah, I mean it's the same it's a very similar feeling that I have with like Godzilla fans who are not happy about the late 60s early 70s Godzilla movies where it became more aimed at children, it became funnier, it became campier and it's just that's where the mood was at the time.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Same
2: thing Same thing happened, similar era, for James Bond. Like There was just a period of time where things that had been taken more seriously veered into camp.
3: Anyway, Liam, tell them where they can find you.
2: Well, you know, they can
0: find uh, all the stuff, not just this show or my podcast, but a whole family of podcasts over at CinePunks.com. Uh, you can also follow CinePunks on the twitter and instagram and we are on facebook and we have a group on facebook called the cinepunks fun time hangout group where you can come and discuss the latest episodes of whatever podcasts or new essays or just drop some stuff that you're trying to promote whatever it is uh come on by and check that out and then i'm on uh twitter at liam rules it's r-u-l-z uh you know i mostly just complain on there so you're probably better off following (laughs) us
2: Well, Liam, we're glad you were able to join us.
0: Hey, I'm so glad that you guys got out of the tomb. I really appreciate that. And that when you did, to do this new adventure that you're on, this new uh, podcast thing that you're doing, that you thought to include me. Uh, have me on any time. I can't wait to talk about more Elseworlds material.
3: So... Once again, Liam, thank you so much for joining us here on the first ever episode of Flights of Fancy. I really couldn't think of anybody else I'd want to come on the show with us today. And speaking of first episodes, there, of course, has to be a second episode. So, coming up on our next episode of Flight of Fancy, we're going to talk about probably one of the most popular popular and famous, maybe infamous elseworlds ever.
2: That's right. We're going to James, James, w- w- wake wake up James. James. Huh? 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 What? What? You 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 were asleep. What? Like you just passed out on the floor of the tomb. What? What what's happening? Where w- where what? am I? You're in the tomb of ideas, James. Remember? We we cover horror comics. Oh, oh no. I had
3: the weirdest dream. We were doing a Batman L-Squirrels podcast.
2: And you were there? And and Liam was there? Liam? We've never met Liam. He's just the faceless voice that we send our audio to when, when Gravely demands it.
3: Oh, man. And we were talking about, like, a Batman-Captain America crossover?
2: I mean, that, that does sound pretty cool. But, so wait... We're still in the tomb? Yeah, no, I, I was just planning out our next episode, because we, we've got Strange Tales 172 coming up, we've got Werewolf by Night 14, and, and we're doing uh, issue four of Monsters Unleashed. Oh, God, it was all a dream? I mean, it must have been. I, I mean, I've just been here the whole time. I looked over, you were passed out. I was concerned, so I, I woke you up. Oh, God.
3: So, like... People can still contact us at tombofideas at gmail.com or our Facebook page, facebook.com slash tombofideas, or our Twitter
2: account at tombofideas. That's right, and, and our podcast is still on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, all the places where you would normally go, and and of course, we are still part of Centipunks.
3: Yeah, the whole Liam thing, yeah, gotcha. Oh, Man. Uh, do we have any coffee?
2: Um, just some spoiled bucket cocoa from the last time you made a batch.
3: Oh, so yeah, that'll do. (laughs) Oh, okay, um, so yeah, I'm gonna heat that up on top of the recording equipment.
2: Oh, I mean, that makes sense. That's basically our only source of heat in, in this place. It gets really hot, too. Yeah, yeah. Can't be safe.
3: I burned myself on it once. Mm
2: Mm-hmm. And uh, I guess I will get back to planning our next episode. Um, And hopefully our listeners will join in when that drops. Okay. So, uh, until then, bye-bye.
3: Bye? Why am I saying bye to you? You're in the same room.
2: Right, but I'm going over there.
3: Okay, bye.
2: Bye.
1: See you next week. Same bad time, same bad station.
3: You have been listening to The Tomb of Ideas, a Marvel horror podcast. Until next time, Tomb
1: Members, Ex Helsior.